Yeah, good day, everyone. During this podcast, we spoke about Marcus Rashford and sort of the fantastic work he's been doing in recent months throughout the lockdown. And we touched on the open letter he recently sent to MPs in England in regards to trying to extend the free school meals throughout the summer holidays for children who need it. And at the time of recording, we were still under the impression that that had been rejected by the UK government. But pretty much the second that we press stop on recording for this podcast, the UK government announced that they have done a U-turn and they will spend an extra £120 million on the free school meals throughout the summer holiday period for the children who need it. So um, fantastic work by Marcus Rashford. You'll hear us sort of really talk him up, which he definitely deserves. But um, at the time of recording, we obviously didn't have the full details. So anyway, just a little bit of a note at the start of this podcast, but uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Thank you. Okay, welcome to episode 92 of the United Pubcast. Finally, an episode where we can start to look at a bit of football rather than talk about sort of the usual transfer nonsense and stop talking about Paul Pogba and Jaden Sancho situations. So looking forward to that. But also, Larry, potentially our last podcast, not at the pub. Hopefully on Saturday, we'll be joining back up at the pub. Yeah, look, the only positive about isolation, Tom, is I haven't had to see you, but um, it looks like that we'll have to bring that to an end soon. Well, I love you too, Larry, but again, the listeners aren't tuning in to hear you talk. We are obviously joined by a very special guest, um, all the way obviously from England, Adam McCullough. How are you, mate? I'm very good, guys. Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate it. I want to hear more about the pub, to be honest. Uh, I'm, I'm always hearing more about pubs. Well, we do, well, Larry and I, we do need to find a pub for Saturday because they obviously do have their restrictions. Um, you got any hey, Tom, Tom, b- b- before we start, Adam, do you know what chicken salt is? Chicken? Chicken salt. Chicken salt? Yeah. Like, you know, salt and pepper. I'm saying like chicken salt. Oh, chicken salt. Um, yeah. I, no, I've never heard of it. Oh, God, Tom, that, that's the first step. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I'll put chicken salt on everything. But... um. It goes with your hot chips. It's so. What is it? It's It's a type of salt, but it goes with your hot chips traditionally, or your uh, battered fish. It's just instead of normal salt, we spice it up. In in Australia, we use chicken salt. You have to Google it. (laughs) So, does it have like chicken stock in it? I have no idea. Does it have what it's got? It's yellow. (laughs) I'm not trying that out actually. Well, speaking of that, um, you just reminded me, Larry, obviously you weren't there, but Adam was there. It's coming on a year now since the Perth trip, the Perth pre-season tour. And um, obviously I met Adam there. We had um, quite a few beverages at some of the nights. And I'm just thinking, how quick has that year gone, Adam? And just your sort of general sort of memories of that. I was thinking about it yesterday um, because obviously it's, it's, it's almost a year from when we headed out. And uh, I was just thinking about how different the whole world and, and everything is right now. Um, but the trip itself was was amazing. Um, like I, I really enjoyed it out there. Apart from Perth, like just closing at eleven o'clock every night, um, it was it was it was a great experience, man. And, and the fans out there are just nuts. And and the football was all right as well. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It was a quality place to be. It was just a shame we never got to go around more of. Australia really which would have been enjoyable yeah well you see when they do a tours of America they often do a couple of cities throughout America but with Australia being so big and so close to the Asian market 
you can really only do one city in Australia, then you obviously do have to go to the different places in Asia. But we'll start to venture into the football debate a little bit. And obviously the topic on everyone's mind at the moment is always going to be coronavirus for the time being. And just Australia is starting to ease up a little bit and a lot of restrictions are starting to be lifted. Um, just your ge- sort of general thoughts going into this. We obviously saw last week, or only a couple of days ago, sorry, a Norwich City t- um, player was tested positive and obviously played against Spurs, or we believe he played against Spurs. And it sort of threw the match into jeopardy a He's little bit. He's tested negative since, so I don't know oh, if it's a false positive. Yeah, there's, there's reports today. He, he did something on... I think it was the Beautiful Game podcast. The doctor was on it, and he he said that um, he is yeah he was a false positive. So the second test showed up negative. So hopefully that's good. But even then, I don't think that was going to affect the football, which was really weird. Um, yeah, it's weird. I've seen Sky Sports come out with their reasoning and saying, well, he wasn't in close contact with anyone for fifteen minutes, and you just think, <laughs> oh, look, I can understand their reasoning. Like coronavirus waits for 15 minutes to be up before it decides to uh, transfer itself. Um, I, yeah, I just find it, I feel like they're shifting the goalposts every time, really. Um, like as soon as the rules, like, you know, oh, well, yeah, seven days and 14 days and this, that and the other. And it doesn't help that over here, our government almost seemingly just want football and sports to come back. So the newspapers are filled with that and their ineptness isn't on the papers anymore or isn't on the news anymore. Um, and it kind of just feels like we're heading towards that. Me personally, I'm looking forward to it because I want football to happen, but you can't help but think something's going to go wrong somewhere. But the last few weeks, have, they've been doing their testing and re- releasing results every Monday. The, re- the positives seem to have been going down in that, and now you're only getting like one or two positive tests from that. So you'd like to think they can manage it. Um, you, you'd hope to, and hopefully nothing bad does come of it, but it is weird, like, like you say, if, if we let's say that Norwich player didn't now test um, negative and he, he did have coronavirus, then, you know, saying because he didn't play next to someone for 15 minutes or he wasn't in the... It just seems really daft to me to, to be able to do that. And you would expect surely Spurs then or the players that participated have to self-isolate. But it seems like they're, they're being a little bit, you know, flagrant with the rules and changing them here and there just to suit themselves and seem to have the go-ahead to do it. But when that kind of money is involved, you're always going to get people doing daft things. Yeah, um, I agree fully with that. And, um, so good. Yeah, no, 100%. And we're just talking there about, you mentioned sort of the government and how the government have sort of, they haven't covered themselves in glory. Whatever government, Australia hasn't done it fantastically. We always see America on the news. And obviously, number one news here as well is Boris Johnson and um, how he manages to put his foot in every time he speaks. But I'll just come to you, Larry, and uh, before you get into the football, a certain player who we think potentially should be getting a knighthood, Sir Marcus Rashford, and sort of the latest, he seems to just grow every day in terms of everyone's love for him and the work he's doing off the pitch. And it's in a time where the world needs leadership from sort of the government embodies like Boris Johnson, like Donald Trump, they're providing absolutely none. But here we've got Man United player in Marcus Rashford just doing unbelievable things. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'd be keen to see what Adam's thoughts are and like what the feeling is in the fan base over there. But from my point of view, when you see someone so young just carrying himself with that level of maturity and taking a responsibility where most of the time you're seeing footballers almost abuse that position where they're making mistakes, but simply because they've just grown up in a different way, they don't get the opportunity to mature 
With Rashford, it almost seems the complete opposite. He's never in the media for the wrong thing. Um, I don't believe he drinks, never partying. And now he's writing letters to the government. I'm sure he's put in thousands upon thousands of his own money into supporting lo uh, local children, uh, the NHS, etc. He's done unbelievably an unbelievably good amount of charitable work. And for, for myself as a United fan, it makes me so proud to see someone. Again, you can't take his age into, out of this. Um, I think to be 22 and the head he has on his shoulders, I, I was saying it before we started. Honestly, I, I know it's a bit of a joke, but I could see him getting that night ship if he continues on this trajectory of continuing to do such good works. What do you think, Adam? Like, we see all this through Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, etc., uh, what's it been re reported like in England in terms of not that he's at war with the government and with Boris Johnson, but we've obviously come out and Boris Johnson has re reportedly sort of rejected um, this plea Marcus Rashford had in terms of to the free school meals. Um, sort of what what have you what's the latest you've heard and just your general take on? Um, well, Marcus is still at it on social media, which is great to see. Um, first of all, I'm so proud of him. Like just. Look, people can say, oh, PR moves and, you know, he's got enough money, he should be doing things like this and all that. But actually, no, um, you don't owe anybody anything. As a, as, a, as a footballer, as anybody, you don't owe the world anything. Um, and he's obviously learned from his own experiences growing up and he's got empathy for people that are like him. And look, you know, in this, in this modern day, you'd think things like, you know, hunger and poverty don't exist in in places like Australia and the UK and stuff. But the cold hard facts of it are, is that it does. Um, and the government have always shown sort of a disdain towards those kind of things. Now it's great to see him using his platform to do that. Um, but I just hope he can continue now. What we're gonna start to see is people try and snipe at his character, people try and find stories on him and stuff like that. But as you said, he's such a good lad. Um, I think he does have a little drink on holiday and things like that. I, I don't think he's completely teetotal, but He's someone that is so goal oriented, so focused. So he's got this tunnel vision on, I want to be the best. And I'm not saying he's anything like him, but he reminds me of that young Cristiano Ronaldo, someone that on the football pitch, I just want to improve. Um, I'm going to, you know, knuckle down, score more goals, get more assists. You look at the way he's, he's training with his free kicks. And then off the pitch, you've just got this, this gentleman who, who hasn't forgotten his roots. Who is, who is great with everybody that he comes into contact with. Um, and he's just, he's, I'm just so proud that he's a Man United player. I think people like that can kind of tr transcend teams and you can kind of learn to appreciate people like that, whether they play for Liverpool, Man United or whoever. But it's just great that he is a Manchester United player and, you know, more power to him. Um, and I hope that he he, he kind of inspires, inspires others to stand up and, you know, speak for what, for that, for what they want to be heard about, whether it's things like this or you know issues that they have within their own communities. As a kid, I I was never you know starving or going hungry or you know we, we weren't living in poverty. But you know my my mom my mom needed me to get free school meals and get dinner tickets and things like that. And you know I was picking up part time jobs and things like that. So I can empathise with that kind of um, that kind of struggle or that kind of um, reality. Um, and it's great to see someone standing up because those are the kind of people that um, don't really have a voice. Um, they don't really have a voice. They're not represented, especially in this modern day. And then when you go on TV and things like that, you see a lot of, I don't know about in Australia, so I can't comment for you guys, but you see like things on TV, which are just like poverty porn. 
which make you like feel a, some, some sort of disdain or some sort of hatred towards people that are on benefits and things like that. And I think the cold hard truth is it, it's not that's not the reality um, and people are struggling. So it's great to see him stand up for it. Um, and, and I'm just so glad he's one of ours. No, definitely. Well said. And me and Larry both made this point in part in previous podcasts. When a Man United player does something well, whether it's on the pitch, but especially off the pitch, we as fans, especially fans in Australia, so far from sort of connection with the club, however, it does make you feel proud. Like we all talk mm. about Man United being a family, and in the essence, they're almost the furthest thing from a family, in a fan point of view, and the amount of money we pour into the club. But um, yeah, when Marcus Rashford does something like this, it definitely does make you feel a real sense of pride. But speaking about Rashford, and it's almost easy to forget that he, he hasn't played for a while. Obviously, no players have played for a while, but he's obviously coming back from a serious injury. Um, mm. But we're looking at sort of obviously going ahead in the preview in the Spurs match throughout this podcast, and we're talking about key players. I think we'll maybe centre the discussion maybe around Pogba and Bruno now, but I'll come to Larry in terms of in his running, how many games have we got left? A bit over 10 games or so, nine games plus FA in Cup In the Premier games. League, nine. Yeah. So um, who do you think in terms of key players going into this running um, who we should be looking at? And it might be Pogba and Bruno, but is there anyone else besides Pogba and Bruno that sort of springs to mind? Oh, it's a hard one. I mean, if we're singling out a single person, that, that's very difficult to do. Um, I actually think the key is Martial. And I, I know that some people might not agree with that, you know, especially when you're looking at our midfield. But I just think if I look at how Rashford performed without Martial in the, at the beginning of the season, and then you, in fact, look at what Martial's done since then, and then Bruno came in, obviously Martial's kicked on. I just think that he's the most consistent goal scorer I think we have. And I know that almost sounds silly because you're looking at Rashford has the guy's highest goal tally. I think Martial's maybe not the most important player, but he's key because if he's not the one, he'll be the one at the end of all these goal opportunities that Bruno and Pogba can basically generate for him. So I think that if he can start fast, I think United can go a long way into how far or how high we finish on the ladder. Um, obviously Pogba, Bruno and Rashford will be key. They're the, obviously the key highlights. But I think Martial, I think if he plays poorly, that might actually have a say in how we finish. Well, just on that, you just mentioned Pogba and Bruno. I'll just go to Adam now. There's been so much, almost since the day Bruno signed, obviously Pogba was injured. Everything's been about how can Pogba play with Bruno? How's this partnership going to work? How's this midfield trio going to shape up? There's been so much discussion, and obviously we won't know. And the latest report suggests Paul Pogba might not actually play in this Spurs match. And I think we have to sort of accept that, that so many of these games coming up, there's going to be such a sort of heavily rotated side. There's going to be games where Bruno's dropped. Or not dropped, but there's going to be times where Bruno doesn't play. But in terms of the Pogba-Bruno partnership, just what, what are your thoughts on that whole situation? Is I remember Gary Neville came out with a tweet the other day saying that really they're good players, let them play together. It really shouldn't be a discussion. Just your thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them together. I don't think we have to rush things. I think people are going to like, Spurs is the, the, the only game we've got coming up. And if we don't see Pogba and Bruno, it's the end of the world. Um, I think it's good to ease them back in. And I think look, I think Paul Pogba is our best player. So I think ultimately he'll end up in the team anyway. Um, but with a game against Tottenham, away from home, changing up the midfield, after let's, you can only go off your last few games. Um, after what was a reasonable success without him. Maybe you can argue that you start without him, ease him in, because then you're also kind of encouraging this players fighting for their spot. 
if he just comes in, takes his spot, McTominay, Fred, how do they feel about that? Now, ultimately, they know Paul Pogba's ahead of them in the pecking order, but kind of even just bedding Pogba back in slowly kind of shows that, you know, he's not just going to come in and take his spot straight away as well. Um, so I can see why we wouldn't um, probably start him. I would, though. I think um, playing Matic or McTominay or Fred in behind Pogba or Bruno has to be the best way forward for us. Um, and you have your best players on the pitch, especially in games like this. Um, I think Spurs are a little bit vulnerable. Um, obviously, they've got player, very good players back like Harry Kane and Son. But I think they're a little bit vulnerable in certain areas and I'd go for it. Um, when, when, when Oli first came in, we had Matic Herrera and Pogba in the midfield, um, which was what worked pretty well at the start. And I feel Matic or McTominay um, and Bruno and Pogba can be very similar to that. In that Bruno, like Herrera, I don't think they're the same player. I think Bruno is a lot better. But Bruno will cover the ground like Herrera did. He will stick a little tackle in here and there. He does more going forward and he is more forward-minded. Um, but I feel like he can provide that energy um, and that enthusiasm and that, that kind of grit and determination that Herrera did in there. Um, but that DM position is one that I think over the next 12 months, hopefully if we get the right wing spot sorted with Sancho, I'd like to see us kind of try and decide on who's going to be in that position going forward. you got Jimmy Garner coming through. you got a few players coming through, but we need to settle down there, I think. Um, because if you can get the right player in behind Pogba and Bruno, you've got the best midfield in the league. Well, you just mentioned there Jimmy Garner and obviously... His name's well ahead of him in the pecking order. But is there any players we obviously see on Twitter and Facebook sort of who's training with the squad and young players training with the squad? Is there anyone you think, because it is such a congested fixture pileup, there is going to have to be such heavy rotation. Is there any young players sort of on the fringes in terms of a Ghana, maybe even a Gomez considering his situation that we are going to see a bit more of in this running? Or do you think it'll be very much the same sort of, um, same sort of use of the squad? Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of Mason Green with Brandon Williams, so I think they kind of go with that saying. I think they'll get their chances, maybe to Heath too. Um, I'm hoping we get to see Angel Gomez um, a little bit because obviously, you know, we want him to sign his deal. The talk is he may sign his deal, but there's been a lot of rumours either way. Um, so I'm hoping we get to see a little bit of him. James Garner's someone. And um, Ted Amengi has been training with the first team um, over the last couple of of, of weeks, so you'd like to think because of his involvement with the, in the West Bromwich Albion fixtures uh, that we had, that maybe he he'll be in there or thereabouts for for a feature um, in the first team. He's, he's highly rated as well, and I think kind of figuring out where he is at um, with his development, how he is in the first team, because you know in the summer we're probably going to lose Smalling permanently, possibly Rojo, um, and who knows if the Phil Jones story comes to an end here, um, but. Providing that happens as expected, then you've got you've got Bay who's question marks with his injuries. Hopefully, he can stay injury free now. Uh, Lindelof, um, you know, Maguire, Twanzebi. I still think you need another one in there. Um, and if Ted Amengi can show that actually I can provide competition, then Ali may think he don't need to sign another centre half. Um, and centre half's a position that we could possibly be thinking about strengthening. So. I think Ted Mengi could be a good one to give an opportunity to. Um, so then in the summer, you kind of know where you are with 
um, who you need to sign. Yeah, I think definitely the centre-back issue is something a lot of fans are overlooking in terms of going forward into the future. I think it's good for now, and Solskjaer has built a sort of a good, stable defence, but I think um, it's important not to stand still, and we definitely do need to look for the future there. But I'll just come to you, Larry. We're obviously talking about there's so much excitement about the football returning, and we're saying who's going to play in this game, who's going to play in that game. But when you actually take a step back and actually look at the situation in the table... It's been so long, we actually forget where we sit in the table compared to other teams and their fixture run-ins and our fixture run-in, etc. And obviously, we're not going to be challenging for any tro- or challenging for the title. Obviously, that is wrapped up, but the chase for the top four is definitely a big thing now. It's what our season hinges on. But it is a unique situation, this nine games. It's almost like a mini little season. So just what do you think the biggest sort of hurdle is in this top four? Like, is it something on the pitch? Is it something off the pitch that's going to provide the biggest challenge? Uh, a little bit of both. I think injuries is going to be key. If we're just going off what we've seen in the Bundesliga, uh, I don't have the percentages, but I, I know that muscle injuries were very high uh, in comparison to prior to the lockdown. Um, so obviously that's something that's key. Considering you know most of United's injuries have been muscle injuries uh, since Solskjaer's come in. Now, obviously that's due to the high intensity style, the press that he's trying to implement into the team, etc. Um, so if the side can stay fit, I think we are well suited. The other one is I actually thought Chelsea were really dipping off uh, and while United's form was going up, I think we went 11 games unbeaten. Um, Chelsea were dipping off now because they've had a rest. You have to think, are they in a good position, a challenge? Obviously Spurs have now have Carry Kane and uh, Son um, are both fit. So if they beat us, um, that gives them an opportunity I think it's going to come from Chelsea or Spurs. I think they're our main challenge, our main challenges for that. I think Sheffield United will dip off. By the way, if, if we can take Dean Henderson, do it. <laughs> I, I'm not all for, you know, sportsmanship. If we can bring him back to United, maybe he won't be happy. But you know, they're competitors to us. Um, if I think the Spurs game is not crucial, but if we can get at least a draw there, I think you know, obviously we're we're in a strong position. I think. United are best position to finish in the top four. But yeah, it's between Chelsea and Spurs just to see how they start. Well, on that, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Chris Wilder came out. He had a press conference because obviously I think Sheffield United have one of the first games back. I think he confirmed that both he and Solskjaer had a conversation that Dean Henderson's going to stay for the rest of the season. But um, I'm not sure what the situation with his contract going into next season is. But just the next point on that in terms of challenges for the top four, I just want to bring to Adam. And Adam, I don't know if this is sort of just hope as a fan, but in terms of the, the behind the closed door, behind closed doors factor, in terms of I, I see United, especially away games. I don't care whichever club we play against, United is their biggest fixture of the season. Arsenal, I, I still say it's their biggest game. Tottenham, I still say it's theirs. Liverpool, City. Every time we go to an away ground, it's their biggest game of the season. I'm just thinking we, we saw this sort of the home advantage go out of the window in the Bundesliga. I'm just thinking. As United, not playing, not having to play against that twelfth man when they go away from home, do you think you know, a club like United are an advantage behind closed doors, or is that just hope? I think when you look at our fixtures, um, and I don't know if this is because, like you mentioned, that the, the good run before the, the break, um, I, I don't know whether it's just the confidence that's still overspilling from that, or but when you look at the team, you'd like to think the fixtures that we have, um, they you shouldn't really come into it. And you'd actually think going away to Brighton, uh, you remember this time last season, we were, well, this time, at the end of last season, we went to Huddersfield and Cardiff and it was it was kind of dead and their crowd got them into it and, and everything. And I think 
it works in our favour, yeah. When you look at our fixtures, we haven't got any of them fixtures that make you think, you know, a Liverpool at home or a Man City at home where it makes you think our fans would have made the difference there. Um, and you almost think without the fans being take, being brought into game, I feel like the best team more often than not is going to win. I don't know if you guys think the same, but I just feel like it, it just brings it almost down to a training level. And I think you'll have times where you will maybe see a shot result. But more often than not, I think it will go the way of the favourites because of the fact you've got no fans, you haven't got that pressure. Um, and especially United going away to Brighton. It just almost brings it down to like a training game. Um, but then I don't, I don't know, the Brighton might have some play- Brighton might be in a position that they have because they have players that freeze when they hit it in yeah. front of fans and they're great in training and they might be great behind closed doors. I don't know. You always hear about those players that are absolutely amazing in training and can never cut it in, in front of fans. So yeah, no, that's the case. Pereira's going like to kill it. Work in our favor. Well, yeah, Andreas Pereira scoring doubles at Old Trafford. So um, <laughs> you never know, Pereira might be the shock inclusion over Paul Pogba against Spurs. The preseason Pirlo, anyway, we always see that. <laughs> Every yeah. preseason is amazing. And then he just. Um, well, just on challenges for the top four or sort of hurdles we might face, Larry, in sort of going for the top four is obviously FA Cup. What are we up to the quarterfinals now? So there's eight teams who still have that extra little challenge to sort of jump over in terms of the um, FA Cup fixtures. Do you think Solskjaer just uses that as sort of a chance to rotate his side or do you think he really sees this as a trophy he could potentially win? And we're going to get into Solskjaer's position as manager soon. It's almost he has to go for the FA Cup because he, he he won't know what his situation sort of holds at the end of the season. But if he does have a bit of silverware, it's a little bit of weight in his corner. Well, it's funny. If you asked me this question at the start of the season, I just would have said, perhaps you can't put all your eggs in the FA Cup uh, or, you know, prioritise it just because the squad was so thin. It's funny how one signing or two signings, if you take a Galo into account, with a Galo and Bruno, you feel like we suddenly have a bit of depth in that midfield and up front. So I see no issue with him being able to rotate um, the side. And to be honest, we've got Norwich up next. So it's definitely a winnable game, even with a rotated side. Um, obviously, Norwich will be up for it. They're not doing well in the league. They'll probably go down. So, But for United, there's no excuse here. I think they just need to go full throttle for the FA Cup. But in saying that, of course, if there's a, a, a strong game, I think we've got Sheffield United after that game. Um, so, of course, considering whether how things go with Spurs, that could be a must-win. So I think it'll be a rotated side nonetheless. Yeah, well, I think we'll definitely touch on the FA Cup in a later podcast. But we'll go on to sort of the obviously Tottenham game, which is on a Friday night in England. Obviously, a, I think it's a 5.15am Saturday morning kickoff for us here in Sydney. So set the alarms, everyone. But um, just going on to Adam in terms of one of Solskjaer's, almost the biggest positive under Solskjaer's reign at United is how he performs in these big games. And obviously he's already got a win under, or a win over Jose Mourinho, sorry. Just how do you think he's going to approach this game? Do you think it's almost, remember how he sort of approached that Man City game and really hit them on the break in that first 20 minutes? Do you think he could potentially do something like that? Or do you think against a Jose Mourinho side, who also is going to sit back, or potentially sit back, that might be a little bit tricky to do? Just how do you think Oli will mm. sort of approach this match? I've been I've been thinking about this one. It's hard because on one hand you've got if you go to Spurs and you just you know set up to this you know stay in the game and then because you don't know what Spurs are going to turn up and if you get I I can imagine Oli would probably think a draw is not a bad result in this one really and truly not that he's going to go there to set up to take a draw because I never think I I don't think he ever does that 
Um, but it's hard to see which kind of Spurs are going to turn up. They've got no Ali, no, no Tanganga. So there's a few changes there for them, but they have got Son and Kane back. So they're probably a little bit stronger than they were at the time when we were going to play them before the break. I thought we were going to spank them that time. Um, but now it's all changed a little bit. Uh, but again, it's hard for, for Jose. What does he prepare for in terms of United? Um, and I do think there's a way, because if you remember last year, we went there, we, hit, we kind of hit them on the break under Oli. Uh, we won 1-0, Pogba to, to Rashford. And I do think that's a way we can get at them. Because if you see with Oli, uh, Jose's side, um, you know, remember him for United, it was always very easy for teams to, to hit us on the counter-attack. They keep a lot of possession in front of teams. They don't ever really penetrate. Um, and if you, if you stay in the game, there's always going to be an opportunity for you there to hit them on the break. And their defence isn't looking the best at the moment. So I think we will set up on the counter-attack. But I think that's, in, you know, with getting a victory in mind. And there may be a point in the game where Ali just thinks, you know what, let's take this draw and see it out. Um, because a draw isn't a bad result at all. The worst thing that can happen is we lose all our momentum that we had from before the campaign. And it's just negativity. Um, but again, you don't get that feeling with, with Oli. Um, with every game, you kind of feel like we can win it or we'll go into win it. Um, so I'm quietly confident, but I think he'll go there, sit back a little bit, try and hit them on a counter. And at one point in the game, he may just decide, you know what, a point's enough. Um, but I think we'll go for it that way. Well, you say that, and I completely agree in terms of a point. And I think we're in a situation now where we're so desperate for football. I think if we do get a draw, we do definitely do have to accept that and think of that as a good result. But you'll see so many fans online, they'll just absolutely lose their shit if we don't win. But <laughs> we, do, we do have to accept that a draw is probably a very good result. And I just have a fear, well, maybe not a fear, but you look at a Jose Mourinho side, and they now he has the sort of given talent to him to be able to use five substitutions. And I can just see he's in the 88th minute and drawing out for another 20 minutes in terms of one sub, two sub, three subs, etc. So I'll be really interesting to see how Jose Mourinho sort of uses that. I believe that. Um, the five subs can only be made in three. Um, oh, okay. So you can make that. five subs, but it can only be three intervals. Substitution yeah, stops. Okay, I actually um, haven't so read that. Um, takes that away from... from Because I was thinking that, like, this five subs thing, like, even with... It kind of changes the game because you can... In a game, you normally see if a team's losing 1-0, 2-0, they're going to switch now and we're going to go attacking. The substitutes we make is going to put more men forward. But they can never really change back from that. Now you've got the ability to change and go into attacking, maybe get a goal you need and change back. I wonder how it affects things tactically, how managers use it. It's going to be pretty interesting to see. Well, Mourinho Uh, definitely won't mind subbing someone on on the 70th minute and taking him back off in the 76th minute. I can definitely see. That's going to happen, isn't it? (laughs) But um, we'll go into a little bit of a start in 11, sort of, I don't know, you'd call it a prediction. I'll split it up a little bit, Larry. Though we'll go sort of, I'll get Larry to pick the back four. Obviously, I think everyone assumes De Gea will walk straight back into the side. We all love Romero, but let's be honest, David De Gea is playing. Your thoughts on the back four, Larry? I suppose there is a little bit of contention or room up for grabs in terms of left back and one of the centre back positions. Oh, I mean, if you if you ask a fan, yeah, potentially. I mean, look, I, I love Eric Bailly. I think if he stays fit, he's an absolute monster. He, he's he's hot sauce, but I think he's brilliant. I, I, personally, I think he's better than Lindelof, much better than Lindelof, but he just can't stay fit. So I think Solskjaer will stick with what he knows. 
um, and he'll, he'll, it'll be a standard back four. I think it will be a back four. Just I'm, I was thinking about the game that happened at Old Trafford earlier this season. And it's weird. Ollie's in the most big games. He's actually set up with a back three slash five. With this one, well, when we versed Spurs, he did set up in the 4-2-3-1. So I actually think he might do the same. And, I, yeah, I'm thinking it'll be Shaw, Maguire, Lindelof, and Wan-Bissaka. But if he wants to put Eric Bailly with a fresh mohawk, I think he's ready to kick some people, and I'd support it. And Adam, we obviously touched on a little bit earlier in the sort of Bruno Pogba um, discussion, but if you were to pick a midfield three, well, let's assume it'll be a three. We're not sure if it'll be two sitting or one sitting, but who would be mm. your midfield three going into this one? I think it might do a four-two-three-one, um, but again, it's still two and, a, and one forward. So I'd go with Bruno further forward um, with Pogba and Matic behind him. I like Matic's form um, before the end of the. You know, before the break, I was about to say the end of the season, before the break, matches form was pretty good. So I'll probably stick with him. But that's pretty unfair on McTominay and Fred. But that's my midfield. Yeah, well, I was just looking before on this podcast, we do sort of a 3 2 1 after every single game for a player of the season sort of award. And we're looking at it, and Fred's definitely leading. So it's so hard to look at a player like Fred. I don't want to use the word dropped, but he is going well, to. Have to... Sorry, what was that? Is Wan-Bissaka not leading? I think he's second. I think, um, yeah, with Fred Wan-Bissaka, I think um, actually Bruno was like climbing the ranks. If the season was the season was continuing, if he got a few more three-pointers, he was going to be in con- um, definitely in contention. But just moving forward um, into the front three, obviously we assume Anthony Martial will be up front. What are you hearing, Adam, in terms of, we obviously, Rashford is dominating the headlines, but in regards to... Him potentially starting, or is it a case like Paul Pogba, where it might just be a little bit too soon? He looked. He he's apparently looked very, very good in the games that that we played, um, and and um, he's been. He's he's shown that he's not, you know, showing any after effects. And we were just talking about Player of the Year there, and like before, before, um, before uh, Marcus Rashford got injured, he was probably the runaway for player of the year and the fact now that the league's been paused and is able to come back in one more goal is on 20 things a big shout he could get player of the year for united at the end of it but um as for his fitness he looks like he's, he's ready to go the same with pogba to be honest it's just down to whether they deserve to start or whether they should just come straight back in mm. and you've got to say um marcus rashford's position i don't think there's anybody else that starts there um, I don't think you can, you know, Daniel James can play on the left, obviously, but for me, he's, he's, he's nowhere near Marcus Rashford. And you'd probably want to start da- Daniel James on the right. Um, so, you know, unless Jesse or someone's going to start, I, I think it'd be Danny James and Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. Do you go with that, Larry, on the right? Who are you picking for the right-hand side, Larry? No, I agree with that. I think Dan James is the best option, just considering, you know, it'll be a very fast game and you want that pace to utilise. But look, I think Mason could definitely come on if we're chasing a goal. Um, But yeah, you'd have to say that front three is pretty... I think that's our best front three. I think the reason I'd probably go with Daniel James is from what I've seen from the Bundesliga games in terms of sort of what players come back to and how the football looks... I think the big strength or what teams have sort of used to win games is their fitness and their power. And I think Daniel James is the type of player who's his pace throughout a match like that, it'll just catch players sort of sort of off guard a little bit. And I think if he can get in behind, it's a nightmare for the Tottenham defence in terms of 
sort of they've gone from zero to ten in one game. There's there's no warm up like you can have these little trial games and friendly games, but they're nothing compared to competitive football. I think the moment yeah. Daniel James starts stretching the defence, I think they'll start breathing out their ass. And I really think Daniel James really might be almost the dark horse in this running in terms of someone who could really be a standout player because he's obviously yeah. Has I was going to say like, just before the break, he looked he looked like he had gone. He was fatigued. Mm. He was jaded. And I was, I was pretty critical of him towards the back end of then. But it's kind of unfair when you think of like where he's come from at the start of the season, the difficulties he had in his personal life. And it's his first year at Man United. Like We never expected him to play this much. And I think he was yeah. overplayed. Daniel James would be a perfect option when we have someone like Jadon Sancho on that right side. Because if he's able to come in as a sub on the right or the left or start other games, then you want to rest Rashford or uh, Jadon. The guy's going to be, he's going to, his value is going to double, in my opinion. It's only because he's been so worn out that he, he hasn't played well. And well, now he's had this break. Like you say, he could be one of the real dark horses for United because we're all talking about Marshall, Bruno, Pogba, Rashford. No one's really talking about Danny James. And with pace like that, you're going to cause some problems. Well, I think that's definitely in terms of the way we all envisage a good Daniel James is that first game of the season against Chelsea where their game did become a little bit stretched late in the game. Then he came on with about 20 minutes to go and just caused them so many problems and obviously got his debut goal. But um, we'll move on a little bit and start to wrap up a little bit, Larry, in terms of where do you think United are going to finish? Obviously, it's almost a case of is it going to be fourth or is it not going to be fourth? Um, what is it for you, Larry? Do you think we do make the Champions League? Well, if you're talking with the ultimate optimist, I think third isn't buried and done. Even Leicester's form was sort of dipping off towards the back end before we went into lockdown. So United could finish as high as third, and I don't think it's beyond us to do it. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say fourth. I, I'm very confident we finish in the top four. Well, just on that, Adam, do you think it's almost a discussion which was so prevalent throughout the season, especially during our sort of barren spell? but it's gone mm. away with no football. I just want to touch on Solskjaer a little bit. We Obviously, both of us, Larry and I on this podcast, absolutely love him, don't want him to leave at all. However, his position definitely is under scrutiny. If we don't make the top four, because obviously everyone's confident and saying, yeah, we'll make the top four and we'll do this, we'll sign this player, we'll sign that. Do you think his position is in any danger if we don't make the Champions League? Depends how. I don't think, I don't, I don't think anyone's position should ever be dependent on... on if you finish fourth or fifth, because ultimately that's the margins of it. Man United should be in the Champions League, don't get me wrong. But I think you should always judge a manager on the progress that they've made, the foundations that they're building, the platform for success that they're having there. Now, you could argue from this position, if we don't get Champions League football, it's been a failure. But also, look, let's look at what he's done overall at the end of the season and then assess it. I'm, I, like you guys, I want Oli to do well. Um, I've been a big fan of his all my life, it feels like. Um, and to, to see him be successful for United and lift trophies for us is something that, you know, would fill me with immense pride and joy. But at the same time, I have this little nagging doubt about whether he's the man to bring us to Premier League and the Champions League. But when you look at it ruthlessly and you look at what he's done, his signings have all been perfect. We're still in the same position as we were in the table as last season. But ultimately, you feel like progress has been made on and off the pitch. You feel like the players are playing for each other now. They're playing for the club. There's the, the face of the squad's changed. Um, the profile of the team's changed. And all of his signings have worked. 
So if you were to sack the manager at the end of the season just because he finished fifth and not fourth, but he's made all this progress, I feel like that's totally unfair. Now, if we have if we spiral out of control and it's all negative and it's you know fair enough, but you don't get the sense that that's going to happen. And I think if Ali wasn't to get another transfer window or two, I think he'd be a very unlucky man and it'd be very undeserving. I'm a big fan of Pochettino. When Jose left, I wanted Poch. Before Jose came, I wanted Poch. And I'm not going to let my opinions on that overrule what I think would be right with Ali, because ultimately he deserved more time um, because of the things that he's done. And you'd feel, look, even if he failed, whatever failure is, and in 12 months' time we had to sack him or he had to leave, you think this team is still in a position for a manager to pick up, make a few signings of their own, and push on for success because there's a very good team there. But with that comes pressure that next season you have to we next season we have to be in Champions League football. It can't be a battle for top four. Mm. It has to be a we're just we're just in the top four comfortably. Um and then we can start to look on, all right, let's try and challenge for the league. Um he will have no excuses next season. But I think this season to judge him just on Champions League football would be very unfair. It's a long answer to a simple question. No, but. definitely though. Um, well said. And just you mentioned there in regards to sort of transfers, and Larry and I are almost sick of it. But the podcast so so much has sort of been directed around the transfer policy. Just thinking, Larry, in terms of whatever happens if we make the top four or we don't make the top four, do you think that changes United's transfer policy? Because we all know, okay, we'll go. We're going to go and sign Jaden Sancho. However, I know we did sign Paul Pogba without with with Europa League football. But do you think the club's in the same situation in a sort of post-COVID era where we can go inside and James Sancho with Europa League? Well, I think the player would still be keen on coming. Um, I just, I, I've seen this argument where people say he wouldn't come if we don't make the Champions League. But I'm thinking if you're 20 years of age and you're from Manchester or you've been in Manchester, surely, like, you know, the, the prospect of playing with Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial returning to your home country and, being able to be part of a project where you can have a club ultimately built around you, where you can be successful for many years to come. It's just, I don't think it really matters. I think from United's perspective, it should be business as usual, whether we finish in fourth or fifth or win the Europa League, don't win the Europa League. Um, regardless, United's ultimate objective is to start winning titles and start challenging and winning the Champions League again. Unless that objective changes when you finish fifth, then that should be the ultimate goal. If that's the goal, then the transfer policy has to stay the same for me. And for me, I think I think it will continue. I think we're hell-bent on getting like a Sancho in. And for me, that's probably the one signing that you'd like to see us do regardless. No, well, definitely. And fingers crossed everything goes well. We're not sort of having this debate towards the end of the season. And we're just sort of... We're talking about finishing third and we're talking about sort of beating Romelu Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez in the Europa League final and we've qualified twice for the Champions League, however that works. But um, <laughs> I think that just about wraps up all the football talk. But um, we just got notice, obviously, we're here in Sydney, the Man United Supporters Club in New South Wales. Obviously, it was a big thing on social media a couple of weeks ago that the Manchester United Foundation had pledged to all the supporters clubs, the 240 official supporters clubs around the world, to give £500 to a local charity of that supporters club's choosing. And £500 for the Australian dollar, I don't know, off the top of my head, 900 maybe a little bit over $900, which they're going to donate to a local charity we've chosen here as a supporters club 
for UNICEF Australia. It's in regards to the bushfire and drought appeal because as big as this coronavirus has been, we do have to remember that earlier this year, bushfires absolutely devastated Australia. So a link, we'll put a link up to that um, over the coming days um, because not only will they give the £500 donation, they've also set a challenge for each supporters clubs to raise money themselves and whatever we raise up to £500 United will also match it. So it's fantastic work by the Manchester United Foundation. So keep an eye out for that link, which we'll definitely post over the coming days. Actually, before we go, I just want to, again, obviously, as we're both very kind and courteous people, Larry and I, just thank Adam once for coming on, but also just the general content you provide, obviously yourself on your own channel, but also full-time devils. Thank you from behalf of our members in regards to the Perth trip. Um, it's coming on, as we said, at the start of the podcast a year ago to be able to meet people like you and, and just little things. I remember one night at the pub, we were there with yourselves. I remember Andy Mitten was there, a few other sort of season ticket holders. And for, for us here in Sydney or, for, or anywhere across Australia, so much of our support is based around setting the alarm at 3am, setting the alarm for 4am and getting up and watching Man United. That's our match day experience. But to be able to sit down and have a couple of beers with people who go week in, week out, it really gave us fans in Australia something to... It, it was a real experience, which we sort of always talk about. No, it's, um, I, I really appreciate the love and the support that we got out there. Like, it made my head fall off, to be honest. And I remember at that time, like, I was I was very close to jacking it in. Like, a lot had happened in my personal life, kind of like. And I remember at that time, I kind of lost a lot of desire for it. And going to Perth and, and Singapore and kind of seeing what what we did and what it meant to other people kind of made me reconsider what I was doing and realise how stupid I was. So i got to thank you guys as well. Um, and, of course, just can't wait to be back out there. I'm sure United will be out there again uh, very soon. And, and I'm sure we'll see more of you guys because um, I always I always see see someone from Australia at a game, um, whether it's on a fan cam or just saying hi. So, uh, yeah, man, if you're ever at a game, feel free to come and say hello. And I know we've been quiet on full-time Devils recently, but there's a lot coming up very soon. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, is there anything else you want to plug in regards to obviously your own channel, Full Time Devils? Anything coming up or? No, man. Just um, yeah, subscribe to all the channels, but um, just keep supporting the the supporters clubs as well. They do hard work, man. Um, I'm I'm part of a local supporters club in in my city here, and when whenever I wasn't um, going to games with my dad or being able to drive myself, it was my supporters club that was that was helping me get to games and doing things like that. And I don't think people realise the hard work that some people put in uh, to keep these communities and these groups together so yeah just keep supporting your supporters clubs as well because you know they're a big part of united and whenever we go abroad or somewhere there's always a supporters club somewhere that's making us feel like we're at home so yeah man keep it up no, well said and larry um episode 93 the last pub, the last actual pubcast we did at a pub was i don't know episode somewhere in the 60s or something i think and then we're obviously going up to episode 93, and it will be a Saturday for us. We'll record post-match. We'll find somewhere for a bit of a Saturday lunch and a beverage. But how excited are you? What are you more excited for, United returning and football or meeting at the pub? Um, look, like I said at the start of the, pod, uh, at the, start of the podcast, I, I'm dreading seeing you, mate. Um, no, in all seriousness, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be good to get back to, the, uh, get back to the pub, have a few drinks, have some food, and hopefully we're discussing United win. No, definitely a podcast to look forward to. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast. Again, a big thank you to Adam and Larry. Um, make sure you go follow Adam's channel. We'll leave all the links in all the posts, etc. 
And make sure you subscribe on your podcast app. We're obviously on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Um, Really appreciate all the support as we close in on 100 episodes. And we will chat to you after we beat Jose Mourinho's Tottenham on Saturday. So everyone have a good week and cheers. Bye. Cheers. Yeah.